I've just got a, I've got the last, oh, the hamster's running around. Don't what? drink the hamster. Don't, don't drink the hamster. I didn't realize she was running around. She you was you have to run it through bed. a blender first. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, guten tag and morning and really uh, <laughs> guten guten uh, Gutenberg. 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 Oh God. I do have a discussion for us <laughs> in the future on Gutenberg that will be interesting. I'm not ready hmm. for it yet, but I do have something in my brain jellies that is stewing uh, that's going to be coming forth on that, but it'll be a good talk. Uh, hey, you're listening to the Drunken UX Podcast. I am your host, Michael Feenan. I'm your other host, Aaron Hill. Hi, Aaron. How are you doing? I'm great. Is it cold uh, where you are up, or up in New York right now? It I mean, is. That's a stupid question, I guess. Is the weather okay? That's maybe a better question. <laughs> it's like t-shirt weather. I think um, oh, yes- bad. yesterday was like 26 degrees Fahrenheit. I think today might be like 33. Um, I, I think today is our last bad day here. Like from here on out, I think we're smooth. <laughs> like we're getting ice today. Like it's an ice storm outside. So after today, I think we're golden. The magical rodent from Punxsutawney said that we're supposed to have an early spring and so far, even with like the snow squalls we've had, it seems like that's going to happen. I hope uh, snow squalls doesn't even sound fun, you know, like <laughs> just the it's like it was named intentionally. This is not a thing that you move somewhere for. We have snow squalls. Don't worry. It won't hurt you. <laughs> OK, I have a I have a funny confession. Um, When I was a child and we would learn about Groundhog Day and Punxsutawney Phil. I thought that every state had their own groundhog. I didn't realize that because I, I grew up in Pennsylvania. I didn't realize that our groundhog was like the groundhog that predicted the weather for everyone. Well, uh, <laughs> I believed in Santa Claus until I was 14. So. All right. Well, that's not that's not a true story. Yeah, that's um, I, sus- I suspect yours is. Yeah. <laughs> I, I do still to this day love uh, the movie Groundhog Day. So. Oh, me too. I watch it every year on Groundhog Day. Got that. <laughs> hey, if you're enjoying the podcast, swing by our sponsors over at newcloud.com slash drunken UX. They do interactive maps and, and stuff like that. Uh, you can get illustrations. They've got their own platform to design your map. It's a cool thing. Go check them out. Newcloud.com. That's in ucloud.com slash drunken UX. Tonight, this morning. Wait, 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 wait. morning, we're recording at night, whatever. What? You forgot about the social, man. I don't think I forgot. I just wasn't going to do it. We got to do it. They got to okay, have... Okay, then fine. All right. You do it then. It's Twitter and Facebook.com slash DrunkenUX or Instagram.com slash DrunkenUXpodcast. Or... Stop by Instagram. You can see our fancy drinks. I posted <laughs> mine for this evening. I'm going to post a picture of a hotel shower that I saw recently. The... The shower mixer was on the left side, and the shower head was on the right side, and so I was able to turn the shower on and kind of, like, feel out the temperature of the water without having to do that weird, like, super fast reflexes, almost fall over, like, dodge after turning it on and then jumping back out. 
I'm concerned with how you take a shower. <laughs> well, and and my shower at home, the the mixer is on. It's kind of an inconvenient side to get into that into that side. So because they make it easier to get into it, but the shower mixer and the shower head are on the same side because it's easier to do the plumbing. But I think that that's like that's that's making the user do the 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 extra effort rather than doing the effort on the front end. It's almost like you can learn all kinds of usability from the design of everyday things. <laughs> we need to do a review on that sometime. <laughs> <laughs> oh, let's see. What else? Oh, yeah, I got the drinks abound all over the place. I'm taking it a little bit, I was going to say lowbrow, but that's <laughs> insulting in a way. I don't want to do that. It's Is not it low rocks? key. That's rocks? not the right way. No, I, uh, I'm doing a simple... Uh, Sweet tea and Tito's vodka. Ooh, that sounds good. So, kind of a summer drink for a cold night, but uh, I do enjoy it. I think, I, I don't know when Tito's came around initially, but I remember getting it on the recommendation of a friend I had who worked at a liquor store, and it was like $10 a bottle, because they were, I think it was relatively new, uh, and it seems like it's a popular choice now. Goes good with everything, and yeah. their company is incredibly philanthropic, and so... When you spend money with Tito's, they have different programs. Some of them go to their employees and, and give their employees the power to go support charities and things. Mm-hmm. Um, they do outreach uh, with other stuff. They've got Project Stardust that they've done with uh, the Imager community. Um, it's, cool. I, you know, for a, a liquor company, they are incredibly involved in making the world <laughs> a better place. And I'm all for that. And I'm not gonna lie, does make the vodka taste just a little bit better. That's not a commercial, mind you. So. <laughs> but if you want to sponsor us, it's okay. <laughs> I I do enjoy Tito's vodka, though. I think, in fact, I used to drink uh, uh, Stolichnaya mm-hmm. uh, for a long time, and this has well usurped that as mm-hmm. my favorite vodka. My favorite vodka is still Svetka. I've had it. It's it's one of those ones. that's like I couldn't tell you much about it, which probably means it's a good vodka. But it's it's really nondescript. It doesn't like I I don't like the one the vodkas taste like alcohol or they sm- smell like alcohol. And this one's just like it's there, but it's not it's not up in your face. It's like I'm a vodka. Tito's is interesting to me because like they say, you know, good vodka, like you say, shouldn't taste like anything really. Mm-hmm. Tito's actually like if you drink it straight, um, not that I pour myself a glass of it, but <laughs> I've had a shot once in a while. Um but it's got a very subtle sweetness to it, I think. And I actually, I really like that. I think it's it's a very nice, just the right amount of huh. character to okay. make it interesting and make it more than just, a, yeah, I'm going to go buy a Smirnoff triple filtered <laughs> or whatever. I'm drinking the, the last of my bottle of Angel's Envy. Just the bottom Aww. popping that off. Yeah, it's it's sad, but it's delicious. So this week, we are revisiting a format we did last year where we're going to talk to you about three different topics at roughly equal length. We went through, and there's there's been a lot going on. Um, in fact, uh, now that I think about it, all three of these are very recently in the news, so there's something you've probably heard about or uh, maybe come across already. So we thought we would dive into it, and there's also some, some good connections to past stuff we've discussed. Um, number one... Uh, and I'll, well, I'm not. I'm going to go ahead and spoil it for you because yeah. if you want to jump to a later one, you can. Our first thing we're going to be talking about is the Captain Marvel microsite. Uh, then we're going <laughs> to be talking about the state of CSS survey, and we're going to wrap up with the possibility of a U.S. version of GDPR. So to start out, 
I understand, Aaron, that you're yes. a little bit of a superhero fan. What? Who told you? Um, I'm just judging from your <laughs> uh, super villain goatee that <laughs> that's just what inspires you. Yes, you're correct. So are are you going to go see Captain Marvel? Everybody's going to go see Captain Marvel, Yeah, of right? course. Well, I, I heard that uh, Captain Marvel was releasing, like, almost immediately before the next Infinity War movie. So, oh, yeah. I mean, not, like, back-to-back, but, but very close. Yeah, because it's in March, and then Infinity War is April, so. Yeah. Boy, that is, that's going to be a lot of superhero altogether. Yeah, so I, I think you could probably do, like, I'm imagining theaters may do, like, double features or something. This is something, and if you want to check it out for yourself, it's just marvel.com slash Captain Marvel. Spelled uh, out. C-A-P-T-A-I-N Marvel. No spaces. Right. So this harkens back. Is that the right word? Harkens? Uh-huh. We don't uh-huh. use that word enough in life. Um, this harkens <laughs> back to, I don't know. It was, I got him. I got him, finally. <laughs> he spit it out. I saw it. <laughs> We we talked about it about four episodes ago, maybe five, about the Adidas website for the right. Jung shoe. Yes. And what they did was they – because the Jung shoe goes back to the 90s. That was when right. it came out or whatever. And so they designed their product site like a 1990s website. Very much – The photos and everything. Yeah, and I was yeah. going to say like the Space Jam site, except that the Space Jam site genuinely was a right. site that just <laughs> carried on. But that's what, because if you don't know, and this, I, is this a spoiler alert? I don't think this is a spoiler alert. It can't be. The movie hasn't released yet. Um, yeah, it's in the trailer. So if, if this spoils anything, tough. Um, it, it's set in the 90s. So Wait, what? <laughs> yeah, right? They decided, you know, in, in the spirit of that, to make their website look like this GeoCities 90s style site. Um, they nailed it. And man, did they do a good job. Yeah. If you haven't seen it, pause the episode and go open it up and kind of go along with us uh, as we look at this. We're going to spend, you know, maybe 20 minutes kind of going over some of this. But everything from, like, the way they did the images to, uh, the you know, their choice in font, the absolute. And here's an interesting question. Hmm. Is their disregard for accessibility in color contrast a detriment (laughs) in honor to the style that they were going after? There's a fun question for you. (laughs) uh, Yeah, that's a hard question, isn't it? That's a good puzzler. (laughs) And so what I'm talking about here is like we've got, you know, animated GIFs, animated JIFs. That, uh, that are conveying information. Now, they do have alt text, but they are animated. You've got blue 3D font on front of a blue background at one point. Is it okay to forego? I mean, obviously, you know, it's kind of a qualitative question. It's one that doesn't... Yeah. A rhetorical question. Um, because they are trying to do something very specific, which is go back to a style that if they didn't do that, it, I think it would hurt what they were trying to accomplish. Right. So it's, I, there's, I don't have an answer. I'm like I said, it's rhetorical. That's what rhetorical means, but I would love to hear anybody's thoughts on that and what they might do differently. Perhaps. Did you notice that the header image that has a bevel, (laughs) um, the, the background and the header image montage is the, um, 
it has both a lens flare yeah and it also has one of the i forget the name of it but it's one of the photoshop textures like, uh, embossing a, yes yes yeah it's, it, it has been embossed and mm-hmm. also <laughs> properly compressed might i add the image has been oh yeah if you look at look at just the way that image looks like you can tell oh yeah it, it has the proper amount of pixelation so to speak right uh let's see it's a 784 by 286 image i think the only way and i don't mind that they didn't do this but the only way they could have made that a little more accurate is if they made it slightly lower res but then had html expand it to be larger oh yeah but but it's okay that they didn't do that they they did also uh is it an image map it has links in it yeah they made it an image map i don't know if you noticed that oh i didn't yeah wow (laughs) so they put the text they put the text for the images right onto it um so yeah i didn't look the text is baked into it then yeah yeah oh that's which in the 90s if you wanted i mean if if you weren't doing web in the 90s if you wanted to have text on an image that's kind of how you had to do it or you had to do like elaborate shit with tables but that is incredibly comforting (laughs) Just just to know that they went through that effort. Um, for what it's worth, and I'm, while you've been talking here, I'm, uh, I was just kind of looking at some of this markup. I think it would look all right with CSS disabled. Uh, they have a guest book. They have a guest which, book. Which was like, I had forgotten about, <laughs> I had forgotten about guest books until I saw this. <laughs> I didn't try it. Does it work? Is it a real guest book? Can you sign it? I think. Uh, I don't know. Oh, it says no, no. guest book is full. Yeah, I was wondering if they, because I was like, man, that would be hard to pull off functionally. It would get trolled. Like, yeah. It would troll endlessly. Yeah. It would be bad. Um, but but I think... Um, the uh, like, spirit I, is I like, there, though. I like the nod to it, yeah. Okay, so I'm just going to start at the top of this page. So, yeah. first off, we've got sound. Now, I don't actually hear anything when I, I click the sound button. So I don't know if that's a gag in this case, um, or if that's getting blocked or something else at this point. Yeah, me neither. But there's, you know, and that's a throwback if you've, for, if you're familiar with the old MIDI background music. Uh, oh, is that what it is? I mean, I, that's the reference that I'm getting out yeah. of it. Um, I don't, because I don't know that it is that. Mm. Uh, it looks like, I'm just clicking it here and and looking at what's happening in the in the DOM. It just looks like it's toggling a class on it. Okay. I don't think it's actually bound to any media file. Um, you've got I love the banner ad. Oh, at the very top, superhero, superhero trading, trading cards. cards, a hero in every yeah. pack, like, <laughs> and it's got Captain Marvel on it, and it, it's it's not a real link. It doesn't go anywhere, but it's also not like. It's it's intentionally generic, which is I think a nice touch on it. I found the sound thing. If you have sound turned on and you click on the face that pops in from the outside, it makes a pow sound. Oh, I don't get that. So they they're doing this weird thing, um, which is odd but interesting. A face is popping up um, on the borders, and it's not quite long enough that I can tell who it is. But it's an older woman character. And if you click on it, it makes a pow sound. It's the uh, it's the old woman that was on the bus or whatever in the trailer. Oh, okay. 
Okay. Yeah. I don't get the sound though when I click it, so huh. I think uh there's there's something going on there. I don't have anything muted in my browser, so I don't know. Now you're using Firefox though, you said. Uh Chrome. Oh, you are in Chrome. Okay. Yeah. I, I loaded up in Chrome and Firefox also. But. I'm not gonna lie, I'm a little disappointed that they have the nice spinny animated at sign for the email, but it doesn't do anything. <laughs> and I, I feel like I kinda want it to like even pop up a fake like email modal window or something <laughs> like an old outlook panel or something or that would be uh, awesome or something along those lines um yeah so we've got a we've got the rainbow horizontal rule that's mandatory mm-hmm. um lots lots of color 90s was all about color whether in design or anything else your image map jumps farther down the page so they're working with uh just some nice anchor tags there. This is a one-page, just a billboard lander, basically. Yeah. The bevels one, on everything. One thing that I'm noticing is I can reduce the width of the page, and it's actually responsive. The The responsiveness on this is incredibly good. The markup is genuine HTML5 all the way through. Like, they didn't... The, the presentation is yeah. very 90s, but they did not skimp... If you and looking at the if you got the markup open and start looking at it like they've got everything sectioned out and all that they've got all their nav stuff marked up like they did it right. It's all it looks like it's dynamically loaded. The uh... some of it is so the yeah. site itself is actually really lightweight. It's like three point eight megs when it loads. Mm-hmm. They will preload <laughs> some of the media in the background, like if you jump to the uh, video, but. Yeah, it's and and most of the weight of the page is all in images, right? Almost entirely. That that background is really big, uh, is what I've I was noticing. Three point eight megs. That would be, man, that would be a, a heavy lift back in the nineties. Oh yeah, no, that's a yeah. Huge, well, and part of it is like their giant background image is a big image, and it's a JPEG. Oh okay. Well, it's and although I say that, but there were definitely sites. That did have so many images that it would be that big. Yeah, but a lot of those sites also limited you to like 10 megs of total space, yeah. too, at that point. Like GeoCities had, I think, a 10 or a 25 megabyte total limit. So I think it was 10. Actually, I think it was smaller than 10 for a while. I remember Tripod being 10. GeoCities, I think, jumped, like, met up with Tripod. 10, 10 megs seemed to be like the hot number, I'm guessing, because it was the number 10. I don't know. I do note, like, below the sort of, we'll call it the centerpiece image, they've got this mm-hmm. higher, further, faster Captain Marvel in in theaters marching. Oh, yeah. Now, this all is imagery. Yeah. It is alt-tagged, but I'm kind of disappointed that there isn't a text alternative, like a genuine, like a text replacement or something happening here. Right. Because, like, the in-theaters March 8, that's just some blue uh, Comic Sans font. Like, that didn't need to be an image. Right. And it would be interesting to run this through like a screen reader. It's it's okay that it is. I I uh yeah. I mean I say it is alt tagged, so yeah. you know, they they are taking care of conveying the content through that, but or even better, and we were having a conversation before we started recording that this kind of lends back to, but I'm actually a little surprised the Captain Marvel uh image yeah, that's a a scrolling rainbow background. That's uh-huh. just 
Comic Sans. I'm surprised that they aren't doing that coloring with uh, <gasps> CSS uh, animation. Because <laughs> they could have. That's true. You know what? I, I'm looking at the source code, and it's um, they're using divs everywhere. Um, and and I I want to preface this by saying that I don't think they need to make the source code look like it's from the 90s just to have it be authentic. That's okay. Um, however, just as a note of uh, I guess history, like we really didn't use div tags much in the 90s. At least not when not when this style was popular. I don't feel like the the markup has to honor the 90s. <laughs> right. um, here's an interesting thing, though, and I didn't think about it until you said it, and I was like, oh, I'll go look. I've, I've been using Inspector. I'm looking at all the stuff in Inspector. Mm-hmm. I just did a genuine view source on the page. Yeah. It's, and it's all dynamically loaded. Yeah, there's, like, literally nothing in it. It's just a right. JavaScript file. Yeah. Wow. That's... That is a unique way of going about this. <laughs> uh, I don't know if that's a consequence of the CMS they're maybe using, or yeah, I don't know if if all of their pages are that way. If it's just this one because it's different, I don't know. the The background image uh, in the second section is like super pixely because it's like they they did a um like a very basic like color find and then delete, and so there's no feathering or anything on the edge, and it's awesome. <laughs> We've got basic navigation, info, play the game. Oh, a game, you say? What? Oh. Can you spot the scroll? So, okay, now wait, before we get into this, now you and I went through this with the Adidas site, remember? Right, yeah. And we did not have a good experience with what they were trying to pass off on the game. Okay, this is really simple. Yeah, and it's just, they have a bunch of game cards, and it's, it's all JavaScript with divs. Oh, they have a site counter. Uh, there's no way this could be right because it should be much higher. But it says mine. Mine says 1.3 million. Yeah, they've got the the site counter. I don't. I definitely don't think that, that is real. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's very big, but it, I would imagine it's bigger. Uh, let's see, Carol Danvers, the hero. Oh, the hero. You see that? Uh-huh. They've got it. It says hero, but they've it's only underlined on her, so it, it kind yeah. of looks like a mistake. But that is one hundred percent intentional. Yep, respect for that. I like that. Uh, now I will admit on these little slideshows, the one that you just pointed out, and now I'm like looking at the Carol Danvers section. It is definitely like I did not see those arrows at all at the first uh, yeah. first glance. Uh. I'm I'm getting to the point where I'm seeing all these animations and I'm getting I'm getting sad that they don't do anything. Like I can't click on them and make them do something. The oh my gosh, the um I scrolled down quite a bit to the multimedia area. Yeah. The um the player on the right is done up with like what real player chrome, I think. It just looks Although like a generic the, player. Yeah, the 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 t- the title bar is gradiated, which I think was a Windows ninety eight thing. It wasn't Windows ninety five, but that's still technically nineties. Yeah, so it still works. I am disappointed um, that it isn't more like the real real player, right? Like with the embed and everything. Enhance, <laughs> enhance. Oh, it does too. It actually enhances. Oh whoa! Oh, it goes, makes it full it screen. Just goes full screen. <laughs> enhance. All told, solid effort on Marvel's yeah. part. And it's something that, you know, I, I don't think they had to do. 
Right. And I don't think anybody expected them to do something like this, but when they did, it's kind of like, it's it's very contextually appropriate. And it's it's very thoughtful, and I do I I do think they they did a good job. They did their homework with most of the stuff, and it's uh, yeah, yeah. It is it is absolutely appropriately gaudy. (laughs) Yes, and and for our for our younger listeners, if you're out there, um. This is like 100% widget what the web this, looked like. Yeah, this is 90s. what websites looked like in the yeah. 90s. Un- unironically. The broken image, the one broken image on the page. Oh, wait, where is that? I didn't see that one. It's under top secret. It's under the scroll game. Okay. Oh. <laughs> There's just like a random broken image. Oh <laughs> Brilliant. But I, I, I will go back to my original question, though, um, because mm-hmm. I do think that it's an important question to ask, which is, is it okay to forego access some of the accessibility concerns when you're doing something like this? And man, it's, it's a hard question. I think. Yeah. I don't, it is tough. I don't know, you know, cause there is very much a, like, like we just said, this is how websites were. We weren't thinking about those things at that point mm-hmm. in time. Right. Uh, because we were still learning. All of this was brand new. You know, we didn't have any consideration for these things about, well, what if people, you know, are colorblind? You know, imagine these rainbow mm-hmm. texts and stuff. Uh, if you're colorblind, there's a lot of that stuff that comes to factor in. And, um, man, it's it's definitely a, a hard line to walk. And whether or not, because there's the the judgment call piece. And I think that it's, Right from a judgment call standpoint to say, let's make a site in a 90s theme because it's a 90s movie and it's going to be that. And I think yeah. that that is, like, from a marketing and a, a contextual standpoint, is right and appropriate and cool. But it does open up – law doesn't care about that. Right. And so if somebody filed a lawsuit, an ACA lawsuit or something against them over this, it just raises the question that I don't know – um, and that's I'm gonna throw that out to the audience and and tell us what you think about about that. Would would there be uh, because this is a commercial site that is effectively an advertisement? Are there like necessary ADA requirements for something like this? Like it's not it's not a service. It's not it's not providing anything that's necessary or needed. Um. So like the consequence is that if someone did need assistive technologies to view this site, they wouldn't be able to consume the promotion, um, which would be unfortunate, certainly. But does uh, it does it create liability? <clears throat> yeah, that's is what there I'm is there appropriate liability there? And I don't know. I don't know the answer. That's yeah. one like that's an area of the law that I just don't know well enough. It's it's kind of, it's kind of like you know if you have a house that, um, you know for your house or whatever, and you don't have. Uh, assistive technologies for um, like like a wheelchair ramp, for example. Like, is that a liability if you don't ask anyone to come over to your house? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I, like it's different if it's a doctor's office or something. But it, it's it's tough, and because we don't think about it, you know. Uh, whenever one one area where I'm I'm kind of rolling this over in my head is thinking about just a commercial on TV. Mm-hmm. You know, we we don't. Closed caption most commercials. Some are. Right. But 
many of like if you're watching with captions on and the show goes to commercial, you see the captions cut out. You know, commercials don't generally think about color contrast, things like that. And I, so the argument is, well, if you're not being sold to, is that really a bad thing? I don't know. Well, I I personally don't have epilepsy, but I, I know that uh, when when television shows have flashing images or like really bright um, oscillating stuff, it can be potentially life-threatening for someone with epilepsy. And I can only imagine the nightmare that is watching any kind of television, especially with commercials and ads, if you have epilepsy. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's a good conversation to have, though. I think it's the kind of thing that as developers and designers, we need to be able to sit down and look at something like this and have that conversation. And just, you know, I I think there's a good thought exercise there that even if... The conclusion is, you know what? No, what they're doing is okay. It's still worth the exercise of figuring out why that's okay, and yeah, or what could be better. Or in this case, like I, th- I think this looking at it, it looks like it would be okay in a screen reader, um, mm-hmm. but it's not always all about that, um, right? You know, we we tend to generally marginalize accessibility as to can a screen reader get to it? Can you see it? Is it contrasty enough? But there mm-hmm. are more pieces to that. I don't mean to say that even if there's no liability that you shouldn't try to make it accessible. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, but um it does it does raise an interesting question like, you know, if they're going to be accurate. It's sort of like uh do you show smoking in a movie, right? You know, yeah. like it's if 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 we've all collectively agreed like this is not a good thing to do, not a good thing to show people, but it's accurate for the time, should you show it? How about this for an example? If I'm yeah. Ford and I'm making a vehicle that's a throwback to like the '60s Mustang. Mm-hmm. I'm still going to put seat belts in it, right? Yes. Now, I mean, there of course there is an issue of legal compliance there, obviously, right? But I, you know, I, I don't think that matters in this case. I think mm-hmm. you would still they would still say, you know, what we're gonna or maybe air condi- let's say air conditioning. You know, right. they're not going to leave that out because it would be authentic to the car they're trying to reproduce. You're you're going to get this sort of. Uh, homage as it were as opposed to a true recreation so anyway let us know what you think uh go in go check out the site um let us know if you think it's effective for marketing if it's effective web development um if you know what cms they're using or whatever to to build that landing page out i'd be curious to know that too um and let's take a step into another area i filled out the state of css survey today is this similar to uh, the state of uh, JS survey it that comes is. out every couple years, every year? Same people. Uh, in fact, the initial uh, stateofcss.com has general information about it. Uh, they acknowledge the state of JS as the kind of the reference. And then when you go to the actual type form, it's stateofjs.com that you can uh, redirect it to. Who, uh, who is it that is behind that? I don't know. Is it, is it free? Was it free code camp? Is that the name? Right. Or were sure. they? Are they just promoting it? I don't know. So someone's collecting the data. <laughs> so, some, yeah, so somebody's got it. They they do declare that they are collecting some of your private information. So good for them for letting you know. It's good GDPR compliance. I I feel like I'm pretty competent with CSS. I've been doing it a long time, and there was things mentioned in this that I was like, what? <laughs> 
I, I, there's definitely things that I recognized from our discussions on this show. Like uh, I remember Tachyons and Vem, both of those came up on the on the survey. And uh, there's things that I recognize from like just training that I've had recently, like Flexbox and uh, CSS animations and some other CSS3 stuff. But there were other things in there that I was like, I don't even know what this is. And thankfully, that is an option you can choose is I don't know what this is. <laughs> but, and that's a good option for any survey, I think, right? right. You need to give your your answer the opportunity to say, yeah, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I think because uh, and we were talking about this before. It's, I think, good to know some of this, too, because I, there is this growth in CSS that it's getting harder. Um, it's getting more complicated and getting yeah. more robust to answer all the, you know, from whether that's CSS, the introduction of CSS variables to, mm-hmm. you know, knowing when you should use grid over Flexbox, which is yeah. a fun topic that we will tackle in a later episode. But there are all of these different little pieces that CSS used to be really easy and straightforward for the most part. You right. remember some selectors, you remember some attributes and what values go with them and you're good to go. But it is between that and then getting into like if you're using SAS or something like that to, you know, right. write better CSS that compiles. Um, it definitely, I, I would, I'll be interested to see how people fall along a spectrum of experience and knowledge with some of that. And I think it's going to, Yeah. I'm, my hope is, that that will ease a little bit of imposter syndrome with folks. <laughs> uh, nice. And I was admitting earlier, I I am I look at CSS animations and I just kind of mm-hmm. go ghost faced because <laughs> that is it wasn't a strength. I tried learning Flash a decade ago, a decade and a half yeah. ago, and I failed, and I failed hard uh, yeah. because I just didn't. My my brain doesn't work in that way with this idea of like how to keyframe stuff, how to mm-hmm. move things from place to place. And seeing it in CSS is super cool, but also at the same time, it's kind of like, nope. <laughs> I, I'm i really happy. I, I, CSS is far more complicated than it was when I learned it, and I have not kept up with all the things. However, I'm really happy to see what it has become and what it's possible with it now because it really it consolidates everything into the presentation layer that I think needs to be. And I don't think that CSS is stepping out of line with that regard. Um, There was the question, uh, it was on a a five-point agree-to-disagree scale, is CSS a programming language? And I I had to really sit and think about that because what is programming? Right, yeah. (laughs) I mean, it's like, is it, well, you could say, like, it's not compiled, but, I mean... SAS is compiled. Yes, it can be. Yeah, and it's it doesn't have variables except that it does. It doesn't do calculations except that it does. It doesn't. The only thing that it doesn't do, and this I think was my razor for it, is that you can't you can't solve a problem with CSS alone. Like you, you still need to have the or well, okay. I don't think that you can. I issue that as a challenge. <clears throat> to any CSX experts. Um, but I don't think it's possible because you still need to have an HTML document that invokes the CSS. And and I think that was kind of my only, the only reason that I went to like light disagree. But it's that I don't mean that as a slight against CSS or anything because I have a lot of respect for it. Um, 
but I still see it as like a, a configuration rather than a like a programming. Yeah. Specific. Well, uh, this and for our listeners, if this is something that interests you, in uh, we've got a episode that will be coming up in the next oh month or so, um, maybe month and a half, where we will be talking specifically about CSS in JS, which is a, <laughs> a methodology of Aaron laughs, and I know why he laughs. It's a methodology yeah. of creating uh, web, not web components, because web components are a separate thing, but creating pieces of functionality that are entirely encapsulated from the markup to the behavior to the layout. And so mm-hmm. you write your CSS into the the component as part of the tool. And so yeah. in that way, like, you know, CSS becomes part of programming in a broader sense. And this idea of how do we build things? You know, what is a designer's role and responsibility in creating a thing? Um, spoiler alert i think it's mixing the ui and presentation layers but we'll get into that, that later that's not a spoiler alert i mean that's that is literally what it, that is why it's called <laughs> css and js that's that's it, it's right yeah. in the name um i i want to clarify one point that i just made a minute ago um i i don't when i said that i don't think css is a programming language i don't think that being a programming language is the pinnacle of any kind of computing thing um i think that uh, well-written CSS is beautiful and important and requires much expertise and knowledge, and I have much respect for it. Yeah, I, I don't um, think you need to apologize or anything for that. Well, That's... I I know some CSS people who like who kind of <clears throat> take slighted when their other people say like, "Oh, it's not a programming language," condescendingly, and, I, and that's not how I meant that. Yeah, well, it's like HTML, yeah. right? For we we've, we've been yeah. over this for years. This idea that mm. what HTML is markup. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, it is. It is. Yes, but it's still. But is, it's still important. <laughs> it is still code. Yeah. And I think oh, yeah, that's certainly. I think that you can say the same thing about CSS. Yes, CSS I would one hundred percent agree code. with that. And I I like that we're moving away from programming to coding as a description of what we're doing because then you can say that without qualification. Yeah. And and I think that it helps to kind of make a bigger tent for the kinds of activities that are all very important. Uh, and all have different roles in this like ultimate purpose. And so the thing that's going to be a really interesting between this survey and just the future of CSS is what it will require later to be a successful CSS programmer, for lack of a better term. Yeah, you know, coder <laughs> for to be a successful. Well, here here we go. This is the phrase we should be using: a front end developer, right? Mm. Yeah, you are a front end developer. If you write HTML, if you write CSS, and if you understand JavaScript to an extent of ES five, right. let's say, um, that makes you a front end developer. And a front end developer is indeed expected to know all of that. But mm-hmm. now, let's say, okay, but we're going to throw SAS into it and a build process. Yeah. Like you, I I remember the first time I started learning how to use Gulp and and SAS and all of this as a mm-hmm. as a front end developer myself, and going back to the, what we just talked about, I've been building websites since the nineties. Yeah, you know my I cut my teeth writing stuff in Notepad and FTPing mm-hmm. it up to a server. <laughs> right, the difference in methodology and technique is so different and to get everybody ready for another future episode because we've got all this stuff planned out 
we're going to be talking about how you learn these new skills and how as you know a yeah. developer because it can be very hard um and i i i realize as i'm getting a little bit older now there's coming a point where i'm just like you know what there are things that i am not going to spend my time learning i would mm-hmm. rather perfect and hone the things i know now and be an expert yeah. in that cuz i know those things are going to get me through the next 5 years 10 years the other stuff yeah. is super cool and i definitely want to figure out how to bring it into the fold but my goal is I want to go hire the people who will mm-hmm. work with me to then bring this new stuff in and then shepherd that new era after I decide to retire. I I found SAS to be very intimidating at first uh, because there's just so much to learn and it got – it's kind of like they were um, – the, the CSS boat was – or CSS submarine was going around – along the ocean floor and then discovered the Mariana trench and that's yeah and that's SAS and CSS3 and it was really intimidating and we actually had this is when I was at Cornell uh Joel Goodman came in and did training for all of us and he did an amazing a fantastic job so, Joel is the guy from Bravery Media if you go back and listen to Build yes. Process and um, we had an interview with he him He was a he was a guest too wasn't he or was it just on Build no, Process No no we yeah he was just on an episode of Build Process on okay. on how to do like run your own startup. Kinda. Oh, right, right, yeah. Uh, he's amazing and awesome, and I highly recommend him. Hey, Joel. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like his his training was very helpful in in kind of uh, demystifying some of that. And now it's like I'm I'm very comfortable working with it. But uh, but getting in that initially though, it SAS is yeah like i i sass is what i wish css was frankly at this point yeah like i and yeah. i get why it's not because you know the compiling of it is you know briefly cpu intensive i don't think you could deliver that mm-hmm. through the browser real effectively but right. at least not now but it definitely solves so many problems i think we're getting to the point where it's kind of like that because of uh, like how Webpack works and everything. And when we do, well, at least on the Rails side of things, you do all of your CSS in SAS. And then when you start up the server locally, it compiles all the CSS for you and then renders it. Yeah. Uh, and then on the on the production side, it, it you know precompiles all the assets and everything. So it, it kind of functions like that, where they're basically interchangeable, even though like ultimately it's not. Well, definitely, regardless of if you are a brand new developer or somebody who's been Mm -hmm. doing this for 20 years like Aaron and I, go check out, what is it, stateofcss.com? Yes, stateofcss.com. Stateofcss.com. There's like six sections. It takes about 10 minutes to fill out. It's not not that big. Uh, They've got a section on resources. If you... Do that. Make sure to plug us and and note that hey, you listen to the Drunken UX podcast. We'd love them to know that we sent you there. Uh, so please, uh, I'm begging you, tell people about us. <laughs> uh, but no, do do check it out. Do fill it out because it's going to be useful information. The State of JS uh, survey, I think we've plugged in the past on Real Time Overview, is a great survey, and I expect this to be equally useful and helpful. Um, to kind of get the pulse of that part of the industry and to know that, you know what, we're all learning a lot of this. So uh, definitely go mm-hmm. check that out. Yeah. So I'm at the point in the show now where I, I keep looking at my glass and I'm I'm not going to stop. That's not going to happen. 
Um, <laughs> but I am very near the bottom of my tea, and I'm just slowly just adding uh, vodka to it. And it's getting progressively watered down, and I, I think in about another five or ten minutes, I'm just going to be taking shots as I'm finishing the show. So, Wait, so you're watering it down? It sounds like it's the opposite. Like well, alcohol di- diluting the what is the sweet tea portion is just becoming <laughs> slightly brown vodka. Uh, so, congratulations, Michael! You win today. Here we go. Here we can hear. Oh my gosh! Glug glug. Um, okay, finishing out the evening, I want to go to an article that I picked up, and this was going to be a warmer topic for us, and I was like, you know what, there's a lot here, and I think there's a lot to unpack. The GAO, which is, if you don't know, is the Government Accountability Office. The mm-hmm. The GAO is not a governmental office. It is a, what do they call it, a, a think tank, a watchdog group. Mm-hmm. Um, that reports to Congress on all kinds of things. Uh, when Congress is thinking about doing something, they go to the GAO and they say, tell us about this so we can right. figure out if we need to do something. So as many of you know and have heard us talk about, GDPR is a thing. <laughs> GDPR is not the law in the United States, though. It is an EU law. It right. only happens to affect some U.S. companies because they also do business in the EU. How? Just a uh, quick quick flashback. Episode 11 was when we discussed GDPR. That was the copyright episode. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. yeah. So, and, and uh, we, we had the copyright episode. And I think there was another past episode back in May. Maybe it was the same episode. But we had a, hmm. a whole early chunk where we talked about um, – because it was right like literally days after this launched was when we talked about it. Um, right. It launched on May 25th, 2018. Um, it had been in the work for years prior to that. And – what has happened is G- the GAO has finally come back to Congress with a report that they asked for. Like two years ago, they asked for this. And they told Congress, hey, you know what? Now is the best time in the world to do something like the GDPR for the United States. And <laughs> this has the potential to be the single biggest and most important development, no pun intended, <laughs> in web development in history. Well, in the U.S.'s history of web I I would argue because of the size of our market that it is bigger oh. than GDPR. I, okay. I'm, I'm open to being proven wrong on that, but it's qualitative and you're not, so... <laughs> Here's the thing about it, right? While GDPR, it wasn't a huge... Mm-hmm. And, and I would even lump that in with, you know, what may happen in the near future if Article 11 and 13 also become law. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, it did only affect the EU, mostly. Right. If the U.S. comes into the fold with this, it basically locks down this story, so to speak. Now, obviously, yeah. Russia is a different uh, argument, China, and, you know, these other areas. But with the EU and the U.S. all in on data privacy, it fundamentally and permanently changes the way we will approach it, web development. Mm -hmm. So let's rewind a second because I think it's important for folks to know still what GDPR is, right? Right. The, The general data protection rule. This is the EU's way of saying that as a user, 
in the EU, if you are what they call a data subject, you have the right to know many things. One of those things is, was your data leaked? Was there you know, a breach in information at a given company where you have information? You get to know right. that, I think, what is this? Within 72 hours is the limit, I think. Um, you get to request information. You get to ask a company, what do you know about me? And they have to give you all the things they know about you. This came up recently. Do you, uh, did you watch, uh, was it Bandersnatch? Is that the name of it on Netflix? Yes, I did. Did you, did. you watched it? Yes, I actually, I think I finished it. I got to like the end credits. You know, Netflix knows every decision you made in that show. I would presume so. And has stored yeah. it for use in future development of choose your own style or choose your own story video. Did, did they disclose they were doing that? No. Okay. I'm, I, I don't feel mad that they restored that because I, uh, I mean, I kind of expected it, especially after the first time I died and had to rewind and it's playing through the fast forward and it's just showing just the choices that I made. I was like, whoa, <laughs> if, if you haven't done it yet, it's just give you, give yourself 10, 15 minutes and just check it out. It's pretty cool. It, it, but it, it's fuzzy, right? Like that's information about their content that you generated yeah but it's not information about you right but as was recently discovered in a gdpr request uh that is information that was required that they give you at that right. point and that was how it was discovered that oh they kept all this information didn't ask for it and in my head i'm like i don't feel like that's something you would ask for as a company or should have to ask for even your in your user is interacting with your stuff at that point i think i think like the big players in this like uh the twitters facebook's instagrams etc they well i facebook and instagram is the same company now um the linkedins and, and those other companies they sort of already kind of disclose what they collect about you and have you give you access to a copy of your own data. Uh, Google has a great history yeah. that you can look at. Facebook has whatever. one. Yeah, and and you can request that. I think the difference here, as I understand it, is that this would make legally compel all the companies to do this. Rather, whereas now they're sort of like doing it out of kindness. Yeah, <laughs> and and there was never a guarantee that what you were getting was everything. Right. You know, you were right. getting what they implied was here's all your data. Well, here's all my well, data, but not necessarily all of the data they have created about me, which is now required to be included. One of the things about GDPR was that it included the right to be forgotten. Yeah. And and that's that's something that that's the other the big co- US companies do not do. And so I would actually be interested in seeing that um especially because like like on Facebook if you want, uh, I remember reading an article several years ago that if you're going to delete your Facebook profile, um, fuzz all of your data first. So don't don't just delete it as is because they keep a shadow copy. Uh, change all of the data to be wrong and then delete it. Huh. I mean, they'll still probably have backups somewhere of different states, but at least it's not as immediately present. But I, I think that would be maybe a taller order and you might get more pushback from these companies if that was included in it. But I think that's also uh, maybe one of the more important parts 
we were to get a GDPR thing here. Yeah. So the the reason this has been a big thing is because everybody likes to say, well, if you're in the U.S., though, that's okay because you're not subject to EU law. Mm-hmm. Um, what we've learned, of course, is that you know a lot of companies, the Googles, the Facebooks, the obvious players operate in all those com- or countries, so they're definitely subject to those laws in, in those situations. Right. The the kicker always was, and and what I always tried to explain to people was, it's not about the fact that we don't have that law here. It's about there are things like trade laws, which mm-hmm. include reciprocal agreements in what will and won't be agreed to and enforced, and right. GDPR simply hadn't been included or challenged in that yet, but it could be, and so there was always this possibility out there that even if you were a U.S. company. If you were in violation of GDPR and an EU data subject challenged you on it, there was, and still is, this, hasn't, this is a mm-hmm. non-answered question at this point, but if you were exclusively a U.S. company but you happen to have some EU customers, like incidentally, yeah, they, they could challenge you on that. And there may be a case where United States trade law would say, no, they're leveling, levying a fine against you and we are going to honor their fine and enforce it on their behalf. Yeah. Uh, there's a whole mess there. Now that mess may be moot because we may end up doing it ourselves. Here's a hypothetical to consider. So GDPR applies to Europe or at least to the EU. EU apparently. Yeah. What if G like what, let's say the, the GDPR in the U S flops because our lobbyists are able to <coughs> stop the votes or whatever. But what if it gets passed in, say, India and Southeast Asia and a company like Facebook that has, I don't know what the user breakdown is globally, but there's a lot of Internet users over in Southeast Asia and India, including the EU also. And if they have GDPR legislation over there, it might be more than half the Facebook users altogether are affected by GDPR type legislation. And so now Facebook has more than half its users affected by this. Is it more cost effective for them to have two different approaches or do they just say, well, we might as well just, uh, you know, do the same thing for everyone? Yeah, Uh, it's a question without an answer. Yeah, because ultimately, I I definitely know where you're going with that. And it's this idea that maybe it's just a button that is or isn't available based on your locale or whatever the case may be. Uh, And that could be the case. And one thing I'm going to talk about in a second is this idea about uh, not just how we build stuff, but yeah, sometimes it's, and this is something that we've been talking about at at the company I work for, where it's easier for us to just write everything to comply with it. Right. Because there's, there's no harm in already offering those same opportunities to our US users as our EU users. And we have no qualms about doing that. Um, that's just the nature of our business and, and we're happy to kind of be that way. But, but the difference is that your business doesn't currently make money off of that data that it would be collecting. Right. So I would argue the answer to that is a, a no. Right. Like, I mean, or Facebook, yes, rather we, or we do make money off of it cause we are operating okay. in EU countries. Uh, and, okay. and the information we gather is geared towards figuring out who to pair with what companies and how, you know, how to right. be okay. effective. 
Um, yeah, no, we definitely, I think, w- would fall under that. Um, and I think, I think, I mean, more like the the personal data that maybe isn't. Yeah, we're we're not farming uh, data out. Like we don't yes, sell data. Yeah. We don't. Yeah, that's that's what I mean. Like you're not commoditizing. Yeah, yeah, data yeah. About your users, we like it's so all if, internal. Everything's internal, right? If a user decided they didn't want to use your site anymore and they deleted their account, like you, you would be okay, like just saying, like, okay, it's cool, and like just delete yeah. all their database content because it would not Whereas be valuable fa- to us otherwise at that point, right? Whereas like a Facebook company or a Google company, who wants to sell ads, they that data that's been commoditized is still valuable to them, yeah. And so there is there is a dollar value attached to it, even if you decide to not use the service anymore. Um, and that's going to be something that their, uh, bean counters are going to have to figure out is like, is the cost or is the revenue generated by commoditizing this data outweighing the cost of having two different code bases or two different approaches? The the challenge here to me, the way I think about it is like, I'm not against it. And I, it may sound that way a little bit the way I'm talking about it, but I what my thing is, is GDPR is hard to comply with because there yeah. is a lot of gray. It's almost entirely gray. Uh, we've only yeah. just now started to see, you know, fines being levied in places like Hungary and France. France was the <laughs> one that just dropped $56 million in fines on Google. Um, we, have, we have yet to see if that's going to play out or not. But like in Hungary, they said, well, we've got two cases. This one's going to get fined $3,500. And this other one is working with us. So, well, we're just not going to find them. And so there's this huh. incredibly qualitative approach to it that makes it very it, – it, oh, it has almost yeah. made it worse in a way because a lot of companies have said, we're going to sit back and wait, see how this plays out. Yeah, I would argue it played out exactly the way I would have predicted it would, which is right. people are going after the big players with tons of money. They're yeah. going less so after the small players, and the enforcement is literally – all over the board uh right and it's incredibly fuzzy and it's based on any manner and form of conditions and here's where this gets troublesome to me is i would and if anybody wants to argue otherwise by all means but i would argue that the u.s is potentially the most sue happy nation in the world (laughs) we are very litigious and so when you look at the number of patent trolls copyright trolls that mm-hmm. make their livelihoods out of setting up a law firm that does nothing but file lawsuits in bulk every day. Imagine what G- uh, a U.S. version of GDPR would give them. Points of clarity. Patent trolls and copyright trolls are, are firms that buy up patents and copyrights or intellectual property from other people and then sue over. Or work on their uses. behalf. Right, right. And, and their sole purpose is to do... Uh, litigation and try to get settlements that generate revenue. Yeah, over those IPs with with the idea that even if they are wrong, which they oftentimes are, the settlement is cheaper than fighting it in court. Yeah. It's not yeah. about and being it's right; a, it's about having more money. And for a long time, like in the early two thousands, at least, uh, there was it was a numbers game. So even if they were wildly wrong eight times out of 10, those two times out of 10 were, were like generated enough revenue to make it worth it. Right. 
So to talk about like a, the chilling effect on this, to give you an idea, mm-hmm. with GDPR, if you are fined under it, and this is kind of what Face or uh, Google was looking at, depending on uh, the deal, and this is per violation. And this is now this is not to say the U.S. would set it up this way, but this is how the GDPR yeah. is, which is that it's up to uh, ten million euros or two percent wow. of annual global turnover per huh. offense. Whoa. Or uh, under another set of circumstances, it can be double that. 20 million or 4%. So wow. imagine, you know, if a company like Facebook had a major data breach and oh, man. had reported <laughs> it in 73 hours instead of 72. Right. Now, where this gets troublesome and problematic in the U.S. is I think about all of, and going back to this idea, we're so happy and very litigious yeah. and, and we go after things without thinking about it is the effect that this has on all of these small companies in the country mm-hmm. that they hire an overnight developer to set up a WordPress site and throw WooCommerce on it and walk away. And yeah. they don't, all they do is knit sweaters. It's a grandma that knits sweaters and doesn't know anything about privacy. Now that doesn't mean that their users deserve less protection, but it right. it does create, I think, a different circumstance of liability in that what do you expect her to do reasonably so what on on the other hand though i think that having the penalties be as stiff as they are or stiffer is necessary because otherwise they're not a deterrent yeah yeah well i mean the easy way to comply with this is like don't commoditize your users' data. I'll give them more control over it and stop making the internet a shitty place by commoditizing user data. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we have so many businesses built around that business model that like it should like it should and can have a chilling effect on that. And I hope that it does. I think the the what I hope happens is because I'm for it. I I generally do believe that we should be better about privacy. We should give users more control, certainly. Um, mm-hmm. you know, And platforms like WordPress are building tools designed to help users comply with privacy requests and things like that and, uh-huh. and eliminate data. That's great. We need to see more of that, and I think we will see more of that. But I hope that we go after the right people for the right reasons. Historically, yeah. I know that will not be true. <laughs> and that's that's where my worry is because yeah. I come back to what I just said about copyright and patent trolls. And right. the way that system is abused, I think, is a canary that should deter any attempt whatsoever for us to pursue, regardless right. of any other you know constitutional or authority arguments you want to make. Just the fact that I think it will hurt more business than it will help. Yeah is the concern. Now, here's the corollary to that. Sure. It will fundamentally and completely change how we teach development from day one moving forward. Right. Because right now, uh, privacy and the general idea of protecting users' data is mm-hmm. not taught. Not really. <laughs> no, I mean, it's, it is not taught. 
you may learn it from somebody else who explains it to you, but if you go through a computer science program, if you go through a coding mm-hmm. boot camp, there, unless it is one geared towards privacy to begin with, we do, yeah. not, and it's just like accessibility in that way. Like we don't do enough. And this is where I come back to while I worry about the lawsuit side of it. I don't know what in our history has established us as being good at teaching this kind of thinking. There one, one trivial way, and this wouldn't fix occurrences of like log files or other things, but if you have a database that has user data, um, a really simple way is if you had a user that said, like, please remove my data, just make sure that your foreign keys that connect to the user table all have cascade delete. And then you delete the user, the database will handle the rest. It's never that simple, though, right? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> well, I mean, if you're if your app. Like that wouldn't work for something like Facebook because they don't use a single database. They have yeah. clusters and other things. But um, but I mean that that kind of model that you just say like, okay, I have to erase this user from existence. You if you're if you've been tracking their data, and their data can be um, identifiably traced back to the user, you already have the associations. You just have to set them all on fire. The the challenge there is and let's take let's take stack overflow okay. everybody goes to stack overflow we always find answers there you know you're looking for an example of something and it's like somebody has the same problem you do here's the answer mm-hmm. if i as a user say you know what i'm done with stack overflow i hate their site they've got toxic users i don't want to be a part of it delete me yeah their requirement is to delete your personal information yeah it is not to delete your content necessarily Right, Because you have granted them a license by posting on their site in their terms of service to post and share what you put on there. Now, they would have to sure. remove your name from it, your avatar, your right. you know whatever else, your location, stuff like that. But that's mm-hmm. where I say, like, it's never as simple as just burn all the records, so to speak. That association would be Cascade Null in that case. Or, well, I, I don't know, and this is where I'm not a database dev, but... Cascade yeah. some places. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I know that like I'm kind of trivializing the problem. I I don't and I don't mean to say that like this is an easy problem to solve. I just mean that we um like when you're talking about like teaching the developers how to do this, I think that we have we have the means to do this already. We just have to explain the context better. Yeah. Well, we have a data modeling problem is part mm-hmm. of it too because. And this comes back to the same idea of we don't we don't teach these concepts in this way. We right. model data in a way that makes sense for the system we're going to store it in, not the mm. laws that are going to tell us what we have to do with it. And yeah, that's fair. And the technology we know is going to be the same. Right. Worst case scenario, if the technology changes, we freeze the version and we don't update and we stay on that version until we can do something else. Law can change literally overnight on us. Well, you know, we mentioned earlier when we were talking about the Captain Marvel site, the ADA uh, and like ADA compliance. ADA is a law, but there's nothing when you're building a site like that, there's nothing to, to like you have to know that these are things you have to work around. 
to work around them. There's nothing, you know, up front that says like, oh, be sure you do this. Like there's no null pointer exception for red, green colorblindness. Yeah. Um th- there's a there's an idea. Please, someone make this. <laughs> make a, a winter that checks for legalities. A legal, a legal winter. There's your right. I'm going to throw a couple links into uh, the show notes and they're very high level, very just primer kind of things, but they Mm -hmm. give some advice on, you know, this idea of like building privacy into your development processes and, and, you know, your, your uh, methodology, because that's the change that's going to have to happen. And it's the one that we still are looking for, for accessibility and front end development, which is this is going to be something in the future because odds are, a law is coming. California, Texas are looking at state level laws and like mm-hmm. part with the EU. And it's, and it goes back to what you were saying about well, what if India or, or these other places take mm-hmm. it on? Um, the EU create has already created this challenge because while the EU, while GDPR says one thing, the EU member nations can tweak that and provide their own right. flavors on different things and they have different requirements. Almost like sales tax, you know, like sales tax is mm-hmm. a thing, but then every yeah. state has their own sales tax and then localities will put more on top of that or counties or, or whatever. So you have to solve that in very unique ways. And maybe that's the best analog for or analogy for this problem is how we went about solving things like sales tax and creating a database, you know, that can be shared. You you know what this reminds me of is. So the the easy solution for this now is if companies just said internally, um, we're going to give users control over their data and we will make an effort that if a user says they no longer want to be a part of our business as a consumer, then we will allow them that and we will delete all of their stuff. So like they know what they need to do to make that happen so they can do that. However, I think that the people who are concerned about revenue may say like, but we really want it. Like, but we want the data. We don't want to delete it. And it reminds me of that thing from Guardians of the Galaxy when Rocket is talking about, they're talking to Rocket about stealing and like how it's bad. Like, but what if I want it more than the other guy? (laughs) (laughs) What if I really want it? And I I think that we have to just say, you know, like if, if Facebook or Google just says, you know, uh, Okay, like if if Michael wants to delete his profile, fine, we'll delete everything, and then they just write it off. They allow us to have control over our own stuff. Yeah, no, I think uh, you hit the nail right on the head with that because whether you are a small technology based company or a small brick and mortar company that has you know added a an e commerce store or something, it's very mm-hmm. easy to say you know what we're going to do the right thing. Um, and mm-hmm. you, and you're probably small enough that doing the right thing is easy. Yeah. But the minute you grow, the minute you take on VC, the minute you've brought yeah. in other partners or aligned yourself with another company, the minute you go public, you know, look mm-hmm. at Google, you know, the do, do no e or yeah, was it do no evil was their old thing. That's not, yeah, not a part and of it anymore. It has <laughs> vanished, you know, and now are getting criticized because of what they're looking at doing in China and all of this stuff. Talk about canaries. <laughs> money changes things and money makes things difficult. And what happens, and th- this is the fundamental change that you see happen, which is, um, and 
Aaron, you made this point uh, earlier about the the patent trolls. Mm-hmm. It's not about winning or losing. It's about winning yeah. enough to make the losing worth it. Right. And right. there are, and even now, like I've seen budgets for companies where they, you know, there's a reason they hire lawyers, not retain a lawyer. They right. hire legal counsel and they budget $20 million a year to their legal department because it has become an operating cost for them. Because, yes. and you look at Facebook and Google, and for every lawsuit that's legitimate, they have probably 10,000 lawsuits that aren't. Mm-hmm. Guaranteed. Uh, and so they have to fight that. And they know that spending that money on that lawyer is worth it to fight those off and just file the necessary paperwork and move on. Um, and yeah. that's how people are look at these problems. They say, you know what? We're willing to take certain amounts of risk because we know where it will pay off. And in developing a new app or the new store or the new website mm-hmm. or the new killer thing, worst case scenario, they measure that out and they say, you know what? Even if we get hit with that fine, we know we can make yeah. X with it first. You see the same kind of things with environmental protections and other sorts of uh, like legal-based things that might curtail profitability. It's a line item. It's all a risk-reward yeah. analysis. That's mm-hmm. what it is. Um, and that, that's ultimately the problem. With the smaller, the smaller game, like with smaller firms and smaller companies or smaller sites, I think that if you make a good faith effort to delete data and you can show that, that's the point of judges. The, the judges are there to interpret and review circumstance and determine if you're like at least in the spirit of the law, even if your execution was imperfect. So fun fact um, to throw back to the very start of this topic, mm-hmm. uh, that lawsuit that was filed or not lawsuit, but complaint that was filed in Hungary against a bank. Yeah. Part of the right. reason they got no fine was because of their exceptional cooperation. <laughs> I think that was the exact way it was quoted. I mean, was the exceptional cooperation meant, did that mean that they ultimately like did fix the problem? Yeah, like they acknowledged, like they okay. were, it was a case of where they were in the wrong. They they violated yeah. the rule. Um, they had, it was old data. It was like 10 year old data, but it was still yeah. in their system after the GDPR stuff passed. But yeah. they, they acknowledged it. They fixed it. They did the thing. And that's kind of the thing I look at accessibility a lot with, too, is it's not necessarily about complying perfectly. It's about showing that you are committed to complying and having a plan and knowing that if you can show, hey, it's going to cost us $10,000 to fix this thing, and we can only do $1,000 a year for the next 10 years, but that's the only (laughs) possible way we can get this fixed without literally going out of business, a lot of places would say, cool, you got a plan. We'll let you take care of that as long as you honor it. I don't think that punitive damages are necessary if the company is doing that. If the, like In that case with the, the bank, like if they complied and they made, like they cooperated and they, they went, so like, okay, look, we admitted we were wrong. We're going to fix it. And they did fix it. Like, okay. Like, I don't think you have to find them because they fixed it. And as long as, I mean, you know, if it comes around, they get in trouble again. Well, next time, <laughs> shame on you. Here's the fine. But I, even a big player like Google and Facebook, if they 
actually address the problem and they show like, okay, mea culpa, we screwed up. Let's fix it. I, I don't think you have to find them. I think the fines are for when people are trying to be contentious about it. And if they're saying like, okay, well, we changed these things, which technically puts us like, we're we're technically correct with how we're doing it, but we're still being shitty. Like those are the people you want to drop the hammer on. The problem with that that I, I see and, and the challenge that it poses is A, it introduces that qualitative nature to the law mm-hmm. that, well, you seem to be working hard enough, so we'll just let you get away in, in this case or whatever the case may be, but... But that's what courts are for, though. But that's where, with like the, let's put this in the context of the U.S., but even with the EU and their granularity. Mm -hmm. Okay, my local court agrees. So now, the complainant escalates. They appeal it to to your district court. And the district court agrees with you. Cool. Yeah. And then they appeal it again. Until they can sure. find, a, until they get elevated to a, a region, to a level where they suddenly don't agree with you, even if everybody else did. And then we get into this whole conversation of why this becomes profitable for people to pursue. Uh, because yeah. there's, if there isn't a firm, clear baseline in the law, mm-hmm. then it becomes a whim. Your yeah. district court agrees your Supreme Court and your state disagrees, you know, SCOTUS won't take the question on to answer it for everybody else. And so now you basically have no more direction than you had when you started. I'm I'm not a lawyer, but it's my understanding that when higher courts review cases that are appeals, they review the, the decisions of the lower courts and consider them as part of their decision. Yeah, it's precedent. Yeah. So uh, is that stare decisis? I, I don't know the yeah I don't know the, no. the Latin term for it, but I mean yeah. they go against that all the time though, for any yeah. number of reasons. It is it is a tricky thing, and it would be nice if the law could be condensed down to some really basic like I'm just going to pick the number ten. It doesn't have to be ten, but just really simple bullet points that if you do these things for for example like. Uh, you know, it's really easy to just say, like, don't murder other people. That's a really easy rule to follow, even if the laws themselves are a lot more specific about what it means to murder someone. I think we can all basically understand, like, if you, like, you know, go out of your way to try to make someone not living anymore, that's against the law and is also a shitty thing to do. So, like, if you're collecting user data about someone for the purposes of commoditizing and selling it, and they don't want you to... Maybe don't do that. <laughs> I'll, I'll leave two takeaways. I think there are two points that I could tell somebody that I think are worthwhile. One is learn how to code a website, an app, whatever, with privacy in mind. Mm-hmm. You know, understand you know what GDPR is, what it implies. Even if you're in the U.S., it's worth that time. Figure that out. Learn how to make your coding be that. I think that's mm-hmm. one good piece of information. I think the second is... To answer your question of what what does that law look like, I think the yeah. the right solution is if you're a company of any kind and you make yeah. money off me, my mm-hmm. information, whether you're selling it in bulk or targeting me with advertising, whatever the case may be, yeah. I deserve to be compensated for that. That'd be all right. Well, I 
I would I would rather have the ability to have agency over that decision. And I, I would like to be able to say if if you are saying that my usage of your product is contingent on you being able to use my data for any reason at all because it makes you money, then I should be able to say, I don't want to use your product anymore. And then that severs that yeah. relationship and severs your ability to yeah. use it. Clean opt out, I agree. I think that's yeah. part of that. Um, because I think it's that's the contract, right? Is you you make money off me, I get compensated for that because I'm giving you something of value. And that's what market economy is, right? If if I give yeah. you something of value and you make money off that, then I'm getting compensated because you've even if like we have folks around here, again, and for folks who don't know, I live in Kansas, I'm in the middle of nowhere, we have farmers markets. We have a lot of folks who go to the Amish communities, buy vegetables and stuff from the Amish communities, bring them to the local farmers markets, and resell them. <laughs> but oh my God. the Amish made their money. They could have come to our yeah. market. They chose not to. Yeah. Everybody in the equation makes money. In our case, and they say, well, you know, if you get the product for free, then you're the product. I don't think that's <laughs> a good way to look at this equation anymore. I don't think that... At scale, it should be disclosed. I, I think that is yeah. that we are in a new economy, and I don't think that belief is productive or useful. Um, yeah. Quite frankly, I think that the reality is, if you make money off me, if I am your product, then I get yeah. compensated. And maybe that's five yeah. percent. Maybe that's twenty percent. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what the right number is. But I think if I become a resource that you have to commoditize, then mm -hmm. at the very least, it creates a, uh, what's what I'm looking for? A, not responsibility, but at least a consideration for my information. Because now there is a uh, responsibility there. This is something we're going to make mm -hmm. money off of that we have to make sure we compensate the producer for, so to speak. If I if I'm a steel yeah. producer and I'm giving you my iron with the understanding that you're going to resell it and pay me for it afterwards, you know there yeah. there's a liability there, and you know that if you sell my iron and then don't honor our agreement to compensate me afterwards, then I'm going to stop giving it to you. And I think that's right, right. the best possible outcome for privacy law. I don't think that's what's going to happen. I don't think that I, I've <laughs> given up on lawmaking since, but. <laughs> the best you can do is go out and learn privacy, learn how to protect people's data. Encryption, yeah. deletion, like you said, foreign key relationships, it's all going to become important. If you just approach it from, like we said before, like if you just say that my users can tell me if they don't want to be in a relationship with me anymore and I respect that and you're willing to let go of it, I, I know that it goes against the, the the notion of leaving money on the table, but like you have to just allow your users that agency. If this is of any interest to folks out there, and it should be, anybody listening to us right now should care because odds are you are either covered by GDPR or you could be subject to the U.S. GDPR version if they release it. There is a hearing coming up on February 26th. That's going to be something you want to pay attention to. That's going to be where they review the GAO uh, report. I'll throw a link in the show notes if you want to follow up on that. But that will be the place to pay attention. Otherwise, yeah. sit back, relax, take a break. We're going to be back. <laughs> 
in about oh 60 seconds actually i think it's <laughs> technically 70 seconds but who's counting The Drunken UX Podcast is brought to you by our friends at NewCloud. NewCloud is an industry-leading interactive map provider who has been building location-based solutions for organizations for a decade. Are you trying to find a simple solution to provide your users with an interactive map of your school, city, or business? Well, NewCloud's interactive map platform gives you the power to make and edit a custom interactive map in just minutes. They have a team of professional cartographers who specialize in map illustrations of many different styles and are ready to design an artistic rendering to fit your exact needs. One map serves all of your users' devices with responsive maps that are designed to scale and blend in seamlessly with your existing website. To request a demonstration or to view their portfolio, visit them online at newcloud.com slash drunkenux. That's nucloud.com slash drunkenux. Hope you learned something tonight. We got three nice topics there for you to chew on. So go back. Let us know <laughs> what you think about the Captain Marvel website. Uh, are you going to fill out the the CSS uh, state of CSS survey? No, there's no question there. Go fill, fill it, it out. out. Make sure you tell them about us. Yeah. And uh, yes, GDPR and because it, privacy is going to affect every aspect of development, just like accessibility does. Um, those are going to be, I think, yeah. hand in hand. What's going to be the third point of that triad? You've got accessibility, you've got privacy. What will be the third? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, think about it. What 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 will be the third? That's uh, the ask Aaron this week is uh, <laughs> or answer Aaron. What sorry. will be? Yeah. What will what's, the third? What's point the third be? point of the triad that will be a required thing for accessibility? Good, uh, good uh, developer privacy. Hey, if you want to follow us, check us out on Twitter or Facebook. We are at slash drunken UX. Uh, you can get us there. We are on Instagram at slash drunken UX podcast. And listen, folks, if you want to keep up with us, those are good ways to do it because we are planning some future stuff that is going to involve those things where we may be saying, hey, if you want something for free, those may come <laughs> into play. I'm just throwing that out there as a preemptive strike. Slack too. Drunkenux.com slash yeah, yeah. Slack. And it, especially up. after this episode, I would love to hear yeah. and, and sit down and chat with you, particularly about the Captain Marvel thing, because I think the accessibility mm-hmm. considerations of a marketing page like that are it's just a very interesting, meaty kind of subject, I think. So Yeah. And if you if you are or you know someone who is um, a, an actual lawyer or a legal scholar who has expertise on the topic of GDPR, please reach out to us. Um, we would love to chat with you on the show. Yeah. yeah. Um, that would be incredible. That'd be killer, because I think at this point, are, I, I don't know if there are any GDPR experts yet, really. Everybody's yeah. kind of winging it in a lot of ways, which is unfortunate <laughs> for everybody but the lawyers, unfortunately. The lawyers don't care. The lawyers are going to get paid either way. Right. <laughs> Both sides. Folks, thanks for sitting down with us this week. I've got one last thing to say, and that's, uh, hey, keep listening. We enjoy it. Let us know what you think. Share us with a friend. But more importantly than that, most importantly than anything that I can tell you, is to keep your personas close and your users closer. (laughs) Bye-bye. Later.